morning and uh, looking forward to this uh, new series as long as the Lord allows me to just continue. But I want to, and uh, I've, I've met a lot of people over the years who are Christians. They say they're a Christian, <clears throat> but the, you watch the way they live. And again, I'm not the judge or jury in a person's life, but I want to be an authentic Christian. How about you? You want to be a real Christian in your life? And so I want to use this small book in the New Testament to kind of help us to understand the Christian life and how we can live the life that God wants us to live, that he saved us to live. And so I want to get started this morning. A couple verses, James chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now we're going to probably focus a little bit more on what verse number one entails for us as we think about authentic Christian living. And so we want to, want to think about this. Now the book of James is a, is a great book. I think it's, you'll enjoy the study. I'm looking forward to digging myself into this book over the next couple weeks or so. But the book of James is, is a book that helps us. It puts Christianity as, here's the key, a belief that behaves. In other words, if, I, if you say to someone, I am a Christian, that means that there ought to be a certain behavior that you have in your life. In other words, as you live, people ought to say, you know, there's something different about her. There's something different about him. I, years ago when I met my wife and, and uh, we were working together is, is where we met, and I just remembered there, there is something different about her. I couldn't put my finger on it because I wasn't a saved man. I just knew that, boy, I, I just would like to get to know her because it just seems like she's different than other girls that I go to school with or that I've known or that I've worked with. And the book of James helps us to understand how to believe. In other words, every child of God should live our lives the way that Christ has, has saved us. Look, he has purchased us with his own dear blood. And he wants us to live the Christian life. Now, the book bears the name James. And it, just to give you a little background, James is the, the human penman. We understand that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, that the Holy Spirit guided James. And James is one of the children of Mary and Joseph, which means he's a half-brother of Jesus. Uh, Jesus had four brothers, and they're mentioned in Scripture. And James is one of those individuals and in verse number one, he refers to himself, look at this, as the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though he, there is the relationship there, the word servant carries this idea of a bond slave. Now, here's what it means. It deals with one who is freely given to the service of the Lord. How many of you would say, that's the life I want to live. I want to be freely given to serve God. How many of you want to serve the Lord with your life? That's what James was saying there is he says, look, I freely choose to serve God. Uh, I want to be a part of the work of God. And this is how he starts this small book that we know as the book of James. And so we consider James, he many uh, will testify as you study the scriptures, that as we look at Pastor James and the church in Jerusalem, I think it's important for us in our lives to make sure, and some of this may be repetition for you, but I think as we enter into this study and into this new year, 
There's a lot of times people ask me questions about church, about our church, or about church in general. And folks, look, the one thing we always have to do is go back to the source. We have to go back to the Word of God. And if somebody asks us a question about why is your church this way or why does your church uh, have these certain types of things, then what I do is I don't say to them, well, it's because I'm the pastor and that's what I say. I don't do that. I go to the Bible. I'll take them to the Scriptures. I'll share with them. And so I want to set the stage here as James is going to be dealing with having a behavioral pattern in our lives to behave ourselves as Christians. But if we're going to do that, we have to understand who we are. Are you with me this morning? We have to understand what the church is. So notice a couple aspects, and these are basic Bible truths concerning the local church. So look at number one here. First of all, the first century church started with Christ, and it was empowered at Pentecost. It started with Christ. And it was empowered at Pentecost. Now, when you study the scriptures, you find that in the Old Testament, you had, uh, you had the, of course, the tabernacle, which was a portable structure. You had, eventually, the temple of God. And as you get into the New Testament era, the Bible tells us that when Jesus met in chapter uh, 16 of Matthew, Jesus said, thou art Peter. He's having this conversation. And he might have been addressing Peter, but the reality was, All of the disciples were there, and so Peter many times was that outspoken person, the one that uh, many times put his foot in his mouth, but Jesus addressed them, but you notice he says to Peter, he says, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build whose church? My church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So when you see here Jesus making the reference that, that he came to establish what we call a New Testament church. And and think about it, the Bible gives us plenty of instances where it talks about how that there is now that New Testament. The New Testament has been established through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about there can't be a testament without the death of a testator, and that is Jesus Christ himself. So Jesus began the church, the New Testament church. Well, guess what we are? We're a New Testament church. And as he began the church, the next time he addressed the church was just a couple chapters over in Matthew chapter 18. Look there in your notes where Jesus now, look at the the reference here. He says in Matthew 18 and verse 15, notice, moreover, if thy, what's that next word? Brother. Now, who's he talking to? What kind of people? Saved people, right? The church. He says, if thy brother trespass against thee, Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. By the way, this is a, not only are we just studying this this morning, but this is something that every one of us should practice whenever there is something maybe between me and, and another brother or you and another brother or sister in Christ because this is the pattern that he's given to the church. Now watch what it does. The very first thing he says is if there's something between you and someone else in the church, he says then you don't go find somebody else you need to go to that person and try to make things right. And if that doesn't work, look what he says. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. So watch this, look at me. So he says, look, if there's something going on between you and someone else in the church, 
Go to them, try to get things right. But he says, if that doesn't work, if he won't listen to you, then it's, it's, look, and it's not about me proving my point or me being right, him being wrong. It's that we, as a body of believers, because you understand this, this will hinder God's work in and through the church. And so we want things to be right. The only way God's going to bless a church is if we are in one accord is what the Bible talks about. So he says, look, if you go to that person, they won't listen to you. Then he says, you go, and by the way, if I'm going to go find someone, you know who I'm going to go find? I'm going to go find someone who is spiritual uh, because there are carnal Christians. I'm going to go find someone who's wanting to do things right and maybe one or two, it says, and then we're going to go to that person and hopefully have prayed before we go to that person and then come to them and say, now listen, we need to talk about this. Now look what it says at that point. It says, if he shall neglect to hear them. So you've tried by yourself, you've tried with witnesses, and then it says this, tell it unto the what? The church. So notice here, Jesus is talking about there is a church and there is a purpose. And says here, if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. So folks, understand that the church exists because Jesus established it and there is a, there's a procedure, a protocol. We need to understand what a church is. By definition, I gave this to you, a church is a local, visible assembly of baptized believers. That's what a church is. So when somebody says, you know, hey, I go to Bible Baptist Church, you're talking about you're a part of a body of believers. Now, if we're the body, who's the head? Jesus is, right? It's not Pastor Keeley. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But folks, I just think it's awesome as you think about James writing here to Christian brothers. And I think about this today and I'm thinking about this new year, our new theme and all that maybe God's going to do in this year. Don't ever underestimate what God can do through his church. And the reason I say that is because if Jesus didn't believe that, then why would he have ever established the church? And so the church is what God is using in the world today to accomplish his purpose. And we're a part of that. Isn't that exciting to know we're a part of the purpose of God? And so think about this, that the church was started by the Lord Jesus Christ with his disciples. And on the day of Pentecost, we find that it was at that time that the Holy Spirit came down and empowered the church to do the work of God. But look at a second thing this morning the first century church had a saved membership, a saved membership. Now, I will tell you, the church is, our church or any Bible-believing church is not some sort of uh, secret society. It's not a club. We're not the Kiwanis or the Lions Club or the Elks Lodge. We're, we're none of those things. Uh, the Bible clearly tells us that as you think about a church, that we are a body of believers, Okay. In other words, to be a part of a church, we understand that there is an order. Matter of fact, look here in your notes because James also was addressing this to believers. Look in Acts 2 and verse 41. It says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. Now look at me. Let's just stop there for a second. That's talking about people who were saved. They gladly received his word. And the Bible says once they were saved... The next step was they were baptized, so salvation, baptism. Now watch the next thing it says. The same day, 
See, they, there wasn't some period where they had to send in and get, get an okay from the government. Uh, it wasn't like they had to have some kind of meeting to say, are we going to let these people be a part of us? No, 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 no. It's God's way, salvation, then baptism, and then notice what it says in verse number 42, the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. So what we're seeing in these verses is people are joining this local body of believers. Well, guess what? We've been privileged over these past years to see people get saved, and baptized and added to the church. And that's God's way. Now, you know, a lot of times people say, well, you know, the church, sometimes people differ on when the church started. Well, if you look at this verse, Acts 2.41 and 2.42, you have to understand, in order for them to add to the church, that means there had to be a church in existence, okay? So they added unto them. It's exciting when you see that you know, it's, to me, it's like when, when a family has a baby, they're going to have a baby, they're adding to their family. Their, their family is growing. It's getting larger. Folks, churches shouldn't be stagnant. You know, we shouldn't have the same 15, 20, 30, 50 people here uh, 10 years from now. We ought, to, we ought to have all kinds of brand new believers here, babes in Christ that are being saved, baptized, and added to the church. When, look, when somebody is going through that baptistry or somebody walks the aisle and says, listen, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and I'm asking him to be my savior, you ought to be excited. Listen, I'm glad I'm a part of a church where people are making decisions like that for Christ. Uh, I, I've been in churches, as a matter of fact, I grew up in a church where I never saw those decisions being made and every church that's, that's doing the work of God should be seeing people uh, saved and added to the church. Now, the one thing I see here is that as they are joining together to the church, what are they to do? They're to help carry out the Great Commission. And what is the Great Commission? I've been talking about it. It is seeing people saved, baptized, and discipled. Those are the three areas that he gives to us is that we are to go, win, baptize, and teach them all things whatsoever I've commanded. So as God gives our church health and growth, we need to be faithfully attending services. We need to be supporting the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how do we do that? We do that through prayers. We do that financially. Uh, we can be a part of that, and we can do that through a labor of love. And I, I love this because look back in the verse there, it says, once they were saved and baptized and a part of the church, look what it says, they continued steadfastly. And notice the emphasis here, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, if it says it's the apostles' doctrine, does that mean that Peter and John and all the, the apostles sat down and said, hey, listen, we need to write out some doctrinal statement here. Where did they get their doctrine from? Anybody know? They got it from the Lord Jesus, right? But the reference here is that it was a part of their lives. And when people come here, guess what? When somebody walks through the door, I realize, and many of you have gone through this with me or maybe previous pastors, I'll say to them, uh, listen, I, have you gone to church somewhere else? What type of church have you, have you been a part of? And I realize people go to various types of churches and again, it's not about, I want somebody just to fit our little cookie cutter mold here. 
But you know what I do with them is I'll take out a doctrinal statement and I'll share with them this is the doctrine, the beliefs that our church adheres to because this is what the Word of God teaches. And as I begin to share that, what happens is I get, I get different reactions. Some people, they're like, that's exactly what I believe. I was raised that way and I believe that way. Uh, I've seen that in the Word of God. I've seen some other people who say, well, I believe this and this, but I, I differ with you on this. Now, again, I don't, it's not like I tried to just win them over to my side, but guess what, folks? We're not going to water down the Word of God so that anybody will just feel fuzzy and warm and welcome here. What we're going to do is we're going to try to explain it so that hopefully, watch this, they will see what the truth of the Word of God is and that their lives will line up with the Word of God instead of their lives lining up with our church. You with me? All right. So it's very important that as, as we think about what a church is, that we understand that there is a, a body of doctrine that we're connected to. And by the way, I believe this, that it is our doctrine that really holds all things together. You know, bottom line is every one of us have some differences, every one of us. And, and you're not going to agree with everything I say or do, but the one thing I hope we do agree on is our doctrine our body of beliefs. And it's so important to understand that a church like this first century church, and by the way, we're talking about genuine Christianity, authentic living the Christian life. It, it, guess what? If it was this way in the first century, God's word doesn't change. It ought to be this way in 2018, right? So if it, if it was true in James's day, it should be true in our day, all right? That a church should be comprised of saved people, okay? Look at the third thing about a church. The first century church held Christ as the only head of the church. Christ is the only head of the church. James immediately begins in this, this small book that we see in the New Testament. He begins with his allegiance to Jesus Christ. And folks, look, we, we pledge our allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. I'm proud to be an American. But look, folks, I'm going to tell you something. I am much more excited about being a Christian, you know, because I, I don't know what's going to happen in the days ahead. I've had a lot of people who want to sit around, and there's nothing wrong with a good, healthy conversation. But, you know, if you study your Bible, I could be wrong, but I really don't find anything in the Scriptures, in the prophecies of what's going to happen in the end times. I don't see any mention of America. Now, maybe I've missed it, uh, but I've had a lot of people ask me, and I've looked through the Scriptures. Now, again, I have no idea what that means. I don't know if, if America's not going to be around. I don't know if America's going to be engulfed by another country or nation. Uh, I, I don't know what that means in the days ahead, but as I think about this, it's so important for us to see that as we think about our allegiance, that our allegiance should be to the Lord Jesus Christ, because here's what the Bible says in Colossians 1.18. Remember I mentioned we are the body, but look at this verse. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he, Jesus, might have what? The preeminence. I love that word, preeminence. Uh, it kind of goes back to, if you've ever seen maybe uh, an assembly line, I, I worked with a guy years ago, he was up in his mid to late 70s when I worked with him, 
and he did, really didn't need to be working. He just was doing it just to have something to do. And uh, this was back probably in the 80s or early 90s. And I was talking to him one day, and we were just discussing while we were working. He said that he was on the assembly line in St. Louis when they rolled the first three Corvettes off the assembly line. First three. He goes, all three of them were white. And he said, and every one of them had uh, two carburetors on every one of those Corvettes. And I, I looked at him, I said, you were there when the very first Corvettes rolled off? And he said, yeah. You know, a first one that runs off of a line or an assembly line, that's called a prototype. And look, the Bible talks about how that Jesus, that in, in him, okay, that in him, he might have the preeminence. He ought to be first place. You know why he should be first? Because he loved you before you ever loved him, right? We need to make sure that we don't leave our first love. The Bible says that's what the indictment of one of the churches there in Asia Minor in the book of Revelation. But notice the Bible tells us clearly that he's the head of the church, the body. Sometimes people come to our church and they come from a maybe a different type of a church or a religious uh, body of, of, of believers. And they were a part of some denominational headquarters. And they want to know in, in, the word independent kind of throws them sometimes. And they'll say, well, you guys are independent, so you can do whatever you want. No, it's just the opposite. Uh, you, you think about this, is that Christ is the head. See, if anything, we are to be completely dependent on Him. Because everything consists of Him, everything comes from Him. And so as we think about being the body, look, it, the, the head is so important to the body. Try taking your head off and see how well you function, all right? Uh, you're not going to get along in life too well because the head is what helps, you know, the arms and the hands and the feet and the legs and all those types of things. So it's so important to understand here that a New Testament church recognizes that it only has one headquarters. And guess where our headquarters is? It's not here on this earth. It's not at the, uh, uh, the, the United Nations uh, headquarters. It's in heaven. That's where our headquarters is. And as we think about that, we have one headquarters, and according to the Bible, we have one head, and that head is the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, God's given me bosses uh, to work for over the years. God's given me a wife. But understand that there's only one head, and uh, some people have said, boy, I wish I was a pastor so I didn't have anybody to answer to. <laughs> I have the highest authority that I answer to, all right? And so understand that Christ is the head of the church. And as we think about this, we're talking about doctrine. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in the book of Jude that, that the faith was once delivered. And as we think about the faith that has been given to us, what should we do over these generations that we live in is we need to earnestly contend for that faith. We need to tell people Hey, listen, we're not part of some society. We're a part of the church that Jesus purchased, and he is the head of the church. Are these good Bible things we're talking about this morning? All right. In other words, these are wonderful Bible basic truths that we need to understand as we not only study this book, but as we live the Christian life. Look at another thing about the first century church. It was declared to be the pillar and the ground of the truth. The pillar and the ground of the truth. Timothy said, if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave. That's kind of what 
James is going to address here in this small book, how to behave ourselves. But he says, Timothy says, behave thyself in the house of God. And he says, the house of God is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Now you want a truth, look at the very next verse. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Boy, you talk about an all-encapsulating verse about the life of Christ, the mystery of godliness. Look, I understand that as I think about this, when people come to church, you know why people enjoy our church? Because when they come, they hear truth. And that truth that they hear is Bible truth. I've had so many people tell me after they've come to our church one time or two times, they'll, they'll, they'll meet me in the foyer out there and they'll say, Pastor, we've been to so many churches. And we go to those churches and they like read one Bible verse and then they just sit up there and just talk or tell stories. And, and they never say anything from the Bible again after they read that one verse. That's a common practice in a lot of churches today. But remember what Jesus said, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you what? Yeah, people need the truth. What's going to help you today? It's not my cute little stories. It's the truth of the Word of God. And look, the church, that's why it, when people say, well, you call yourselves Bible Baptist Church. You know why? Because we are a Bible church. We're a Bible-believing church because what people need is the Word of God. In this new year, What's going to help us is the very same thing that was James was trying to tell those he was writing to is what they need is the Word of God. You and I need to immerse ourselves in the Word of God, in the truth of God's Word. Look, the, God has given to us as His church an assignment. And I want you to see this. Look at that verse there in third John, uh, verse number 8, the phrase there, we are to be fellow helpers to the what? To the truth. That's what God wants us to do. God wants us to help give out or to take the truth to every generation. You know why? Because there's untold millions that have no fixed point of reference. They're wandering around in this world wondering, where should I go? What should I do? And the one thing that will help them is the truth of God's Word. The fixed point of reference that we have is the Word of God. The Bible, and I, I love this thought, is the Bible is our sole authority for all of our faith and all of our practice. It, it, folks, listen. If somebody asks you a question, in this new year, in the rest of your Christian life, here's what you need to get in the habit of doing. is You need to get in the habit when somebody asks you, don't just say, that's because that's the way we do it. Don't say that's because that's what my granddaddy did. Don't say because, uh, you know, whatever. Say, let me, let me show you in the Bible. Now, I was a part of a church, a religious system, that a lot of times when they did something, as a, as a teenage boy, I began to question things. You know why? Because I had never been shown, and the reason I was never shown was because it wasn't there, why they were doing certain things. You know why? Because... The Bible wasn't their authority. It was a set of man-made things that they were saying, this is what we choose to do, and this is what you're going to do. Now, some of you understand what I'm talking about. Some of you have come from something like that in your life. But look here, 
when somebody asks you, and by the way, if we're doing something here at our church that is not in the Word of God, then it's not something that's Bible. It's not biblical. And so the Bible, it, it, people say, well, you call yourselves Baptists. That's right, because we believe that the Bible is the sole authority for all of our faith and all of our practice. And we have to understand that it's so important. You know why? Because we're living in a world that there's a lack of knowledge. There's a lack of truth. And every day we are being bombarded and we're being overloaded with all kinds of information. But guess what? It's void of the truth. Uh, you, you can get on the information highway. You can get on the Internet. You can find anything. You know, around our house, it's like we're, we'll be sitting around talking about something and somebody will say, well, I don't know. And the next word out of somebody's mouth is, well, let's Google it, <laughs> you know? And where were we at before Google, right? And we need to get back to God's Word. I, I had a, a, a young man that, that was uh, actually part of our Sunday school class out in California when we were out there years ago, and he's now been pastoring, successfully pastoring a great church up in the state of Washington. And, and uh, he texted me yesterday, and I've had so much going on with our, our uh, Vision Sunday and so on. But he, he was asking me, he said, I've been studying. Now, knowing him, it's probably either just for, it's either for his message today or it's dealing with his theme, which if it is, I'm going to text him back and find out what his theme is uh, for, for his year because it was, his text was about the word sleep. And uh, that's not a good word for a theme for a church, sleep, you know. <laughs> I don't want any of you sleeping here in our church, all right? But he was asking me, he says, I've noticed as I begin to study that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that there are two verses where the word sleep is used. And then in chapter 5, there's two words, two verses where the word sleep is used. He says, I began studying it and I began to read some stuff on it. And he said, I'm trying to figure out because he says in one, one place in chapter 4, it's talking about this, but in chapter 5, it's talking about this. And he was just digging, digging, digging in the Word of God. And, I, I, and so I, 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 he asked me, he says, would you help me out? Would you help me do some research? So I did some research. I gave him this big, long answer this morning. And then he texted me back and said, but what about this? You know, and I'm like, wait a minute. Do you just want me to fly up there and preach your message for you? Just let me know, you know. But, but folks, that's the way we need to be is we need to understand how important it is to, to know how that people need the truth, and we have to lift up the truth. I want to be a church that when people come here, they know that they're going to hear the truth of the Word of God. That's what a first century church was. And by the way, I hope and pray, at least on my watch, that's the way Bible Baptist Church is going to stay over these years. And so notice a fifth thing. The first century church was always an independent congregation. An independent congregation. Now, I mentioned earlier... Uh, this a little bit about this matter of being independent Baptist, but when you study the New Testament, what you find is, is that the churches in the New Testament were independent congregations. They weren't part of an organizational uh, structure that ruled over them. Uh, there's a great passage in Acts 15 where there's, uh, they're in the church in Antioch, and the church in Jerusalem, there's a few individuals that came down to the church, and they began to stir up some trouble and it talks here, it's a great passage on the independency of a congregation, a body of believers. And the way to solve that is, is that they actually went back up to Jerusalem and said, hey, listen, there's some folks from your church that have come down to our church that are trying to stir up some problems. And so we're bringing that problem right back to you. All right. 
Uh, it's kind of like this. Let me put it into layman's terms for you. If you had a problem in your family at home, uh, you're not going to take that to another family and try to, try, to, try to work that into their family situation. No, no, no. You're going to deal with that in your home, in your family, right? Uh, at least that's the way we do. We, we don't go outside of our family if we've got a family issue. Well, guess what a church is? A church is a family. And we need to learn to understand how he wants things dealt with. The churches in the New Testament, they did labor together in a fellowship of love, but no one church ruled over another church, all right? Uh, look at this passage I gave you in your notes. Here's just an example in Acts 13. Uh, we see here this great church in Antioch, which is often known as the great missionary church. But look what it says in Acts 13 in verse 1. It says, now there were, notice the phrase, in the church... That was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene and uh, Menaean, which had been brought up under uh, up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And of course, Saul becomes Paul after he gets saved. And, and so notice here, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, separate Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Seleucia and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Now notice in that passage, did you see the phrase where the people prayed and they sent them out, right? Everybody saw that? But then you also saw where it mentioned that the Holy Ghost sent them out. The Holy Ghost separated them for that work. Now sometimes people say, so which one is it? Did the people send them out, or did the Holy Spirit send them out? Anybody know the answer? They both did, right? So, because when you look at this, here's what you find is the church recognized the Spirit of God at work in these individuals' lives, and then what did the church do? The congregation acted upon that, but they did it independently. They didn't get another church involved. They realized this was something and by the way, can I just say this on a side note? I still believe that people are called to full-time service, called to be a missionary out of a church, that God is still calling. I, pray, I still pray that God will call some young people, and God may call a couple, God may call a single, God may call someone out of our church. And by the way, every church should have people being sent out, but it's not us saying, hey, look, I think this individual ought to go. I remember years ago when, when uh, God called me to preach, and I, my pastor, he came to me when I told him that God called me to preach. He goes, I know that. I said, what do you mean you know that? He said, remember that day I came by your house when you were building your house? And I said, yeah, I remember that day. And he said, I told you that day. He said, he, he said uh, it's going to be a nice house. He says, too bad you're not going to be able to stay and enjoy it. I said, that was like two years ago. I said, you knew this two years ago? And he goes, yep. I go, why didn't you tell me? He goes, because I'm not God. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I was going to let the Lord do that for you. And I, and, and I looked at him. And, and by the way, that's the way it needed to happen. But, but look, understand that God was working. I had a man ask me uh, a couple years before God called me to, into the ministry. He said, why aren't you in the ministry? And I said, well, I, I told him, I said, I'm willing to go. He says, I said to him, uh, you know, I said, the only thing I'm waiting on is for the Lord to, to, to show me that God to call me in the ministry. I said, if you were the Holy Spirit, I'd go today. But I says, you're not. So I'm going to wait on the Lord is what I told him. But, but look, folks, understand that a, a first century church 
is a church that is an independent congregation. Every congregation, maybe you've heard this word before, autonomous. Anybody ever heard that word? Uh, auto, here's, here's what it means, is we are independent. Christ is the head. That means we are self-governing. We're not, we don't have some hierarchy. We are self-supporting. Uh, the way that our church functions and survives is through the sacrificial giving, the tithes and offerings that God speaks about in the Word of God, and we are self-propagating. In other words, we are to go out into the highways and hedges and compel people to come in. So we are an autonomous church. We don't, we're not a part of some other uh, conglomeration or uh, denominational headquarters or hierarchy or things like that. And so a first century church was always an independent congregation. Number six, the first century church took the responsibility to evangelize the world. You know what God wants us to do? He wants, to take, wants us to take the good news, the gospel, to everyone, everywhere. That's what the Bible tells us. We, are, we have that responsibility. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And he says, I want you to be involved. And, and how do we do that? Well, look, we, we can send people, we can support people, but while we're doing that, notice the word both. That means we are to let our light shine. We are to be a witness. The Bible says a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. We have to take our responsibility before God seriously. Can you imagine how different this world would be if every Christian and every Bible-believing church took that responsibility seriously? More people would be being saved. More people would be reached with the gospel. But I think a lot of times what's happened is we've lost our vision. We need God to give us a fresh vision of, listen, what you and I need to see is there are people that are dying even today that will step out into eternity without the Lord. And we need to always have that in view. We need to have a world vision of those without Christ. And a New Testament church is a local church, a body of believers that's serious about God's command to go. And that's what we need to be doing. But then look at the last thing as we come full circle here back to James, the first century church was a pastor-led church. Uh, clearly, the Bible talks about it likens believers to what? Sheep. And we all, if you know anything about sheep, you know that sheep need to be led. Uh, that's our nature is, is that we need to be led, and God has designed the local church to be led by a shepherd. Now, clearly, a shepherd is, is not a, uh, a, a shepherd is not a hireling. I was a part of a church one time, and uh, people in the church wanted to tell, and I appreciate so much the liberty that our church gives to me as the shepherd, the under-shepherd of this body of believers. But I mean, I, at one time, I had people who were telling me what I should preach, what I should not preach, uh, what I should do in this area, and I'm so glad that you give me the liberty and allow the Lord to lead me to be able to do that. But there are men that are in the ministry, and they're in it just for this. Uh, they just want the money, and it's sad because, folks, listen, if we're in it for the money, we're in it for the wrong reason. I can honestly say that in every ministry I've ever been a part of, I have never asked when I'm interviewing with either a, a, a board of deacons, uh, a pulpit committee, or even with a pastor as a staff member, I've never asked how much does it pay. I've never asked that. I didn't ask that here. 
I just feel like if it's the Lord's will, where God guides, God will provide. And so understand that as we think about a church, a church needs to have someone that loves them. And the Bible says, I am the good shepherd, Jesus said, the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Uh, look, a shepherd should smell like sheep. You know why? Because he loves them. He's in among them. A man may be a leader without being a shepherd, but he cannot be a shepherd without being a leader. One of the verses that struck me years ago as God was dealing with me about pastoring was 1 Timothy 3, and this is where the qualifications begin, but it says, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, the word there synonymous with pastor is he desireth a good work. It, it, look, if, if someone is a pastor, that's talking about someone who can see and someone that can oversee, and a pastor is someone that God enables uh, that individual, and I, I mean this in the right sense, God, through spiritual discernment, allows a pastor to see maybe a little farther than maybe even the sheep would see. Uh, I, I've told people, people have asked me various things, and of course, we'll talk about the new year, and, and people have asked me, Pastor, what do you think is going to happen in the day's head? I could tell you some of the things that the Lord's been sharing with me and showing me, but it might scare you to death, you know? But God, God just kind of lets me see things and again, I'm not talking about dreams and visions. I'm just saying uh, that, I, that I do think that we all can dream big for God. And, and I think that the Lord shares with the pastor and the pastor's there to help the flock. And the ways we can do that in the word of God is that, I, that a, a shepherd is there to feed the flock. I mean, making sure that they're grazing on the right, uh, the right grass, the right food. But he's also there to warn them. And truth is this morning... This message could be preventative for some of you. Uh, and as a pastor, I, I want to warn you about some things. Look at Colossians 1.28. It says, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or mature in Christ Jesus. Now, what I want, and I hope that, and pray this is what you want, is I want the Lord to lead us forward in this new year. And I, want to, I, I hope this study in Sunday school will help us to understand how God can, if we are willing to let him lead us. And what I see is James starts out and we see in the word of God that God's word gives us a clear pattern of what a true, genuine, authentic Christian church should be like, how we should be like. Jesus said that he would build, but you know what our responsibility is? To follow. He's going to build, we follow. So what are we to do? Obey. To obey what the Lord has. And may we be more than a church. May we be an authentic church. I don't want to be a false church. I don't want to be a copy of something. I want to be a genuine Christian. And I want to be a real church. And may we in this new year be a true representative to this world of our God. And that's what I hope that all of us want to do. Looking forward to this next hour. And folks, we're going to share some things. I'm very excited and I pray that you get a hold of what God has for us. Let's have a word of prayer and ask God's blessing, all right? Lord, thank you for those that were able to make it this morning. pray that many would still come to your house and on their way even now. And I pray that you bless the service. But Lord, as we think about what a true church is, Lord, I thank you for the word of God. And I thank you for the truth that we can share with others. The truth has helped us. And I know that your truth will help them. Now bless our time this morning, in Christ's name we pray, amen.